Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be here on the program, you can always give me a call on the listener hotline, 303-832-0217 is the number. If you missed that first time, you can get it in the description of this program. You could also leave me a uh, comment or a... Uh, rating or review or whatever uh, the deal is, and it would always help me out. All right, so on the show today, I wanted to get to some of the driving you crazy stories that I've been airing on TV, but I haven't yet talked about them here because I've had so many great guests to interview. So today, I wanted to talk about some of those interesting stories. Um, First, I I wanted to know, whatever happened to the Hyperloop? It seems like it was going gangbusters and poof, quiet on all fronts. I was reading the latest uh, newsletter from Bob Poole from the Reason Foundation, we, you know, someone I've had here on the show, and he has a section on his newsletter called Hyperloop's Still Unanswered Questions, and this is what Bob says. There have been good news and bad news developments for fans of Hyperloop, the futuristic idea of providing 600-mile-an-hour passage, passenger and freight service using magnetically levitated and propelled vehicles traveling in evacuated tubes. An idea that I studied is an MIT student project in 1964 and which Elon Musk reviewed as a concept about a decade ago. Again, this is Bob Poole speaking, not not me. I, I was not a MIT student in 1964, uh, nor in 1974, 84, 94, anytime. I was not an MIT student. All right, back to Bob. Uh, the bad news came on February 22nd when Virgin Hyperloop announced that it would shift its focus from passenger to freight as a less risky business plan. I, I mentioned this. A uh, long time ago, this is me talking, not Bob, um, but but I thought that the application for the Hyperloop was much better suited for freight traffic rather than passenger traffic. It, it, it would revolutionize how we move things, goods and, and stuff around the country and really change the landscape of how things are moved around the United States. It would be revolutionary using it as freight rather than passengers. So, and of course, safer and a lot of, it's, you know, it's not as risky to lose a couple of, you know, what hyperloop tube fulls of, of whatever widgets than it is to lose 80 people in a, uh, you know, an accident with one of the hyperloop deals. So I, I think the freight is a much better way to go. Anyway. All right. Back to Bob. Uh, the good news arrived on April 25th when Elon Musk announced his, announced his tunnel company, the boring company plans to build a full scale working hyperloop to demonstrate its feasibility. The announcement with few other details was made about a week after the boring company raised $675 million for an estimated market value of $5.7 billion. Alas, neither the technical nor economic feasibility of Hyperloop has come anywhere near being demonstrated despite all the hype from several startup companies. I wrote two critiques of Hyperloop in this newsletter uh, in 2022. Again, this is Bob Poole from the Reason Foundation talking. Each reviewed various Hyperloop feasibility studies, which did not address unanswered technological questions to provide credible benefit-cost assessments. Here are some of the technology unknowns. 
600 miles an hour or higher speed is a potential hyperloop advantage in shifting customers from air and highway travel. Thus far, nobody has built an evacuated tube long enough to demonstrate that such a vehicle could accelerate to reach that speed and then decelerate. It would be many miles long and very costly to build, so we cannot yet take that speed and time advantage seriously. Two, Maintaining the vacuum in the tubes also has not been demonstrated in a realistic tube, nor have there been any available numbers on the energy cost of operating the system, both propelling the vehicles and operating the pumps to maintain the vacuum. Three, airlocks at stations do not appear in any published conceptual study. How they would work and how much they would cost are unanswered questions. Number four, Switches to divert Hyperloop vehicles from one tube to another have been shown on maps in some studies, but no designers or cost estimates have estimates have been presented. And number five, emergency evacuation does not appear to have been considered in the studies I've reviewed, but it's hard to imagine federally con- uh, safety certification of Hyperloop without the inclusion of such facilities. Th- that's yet another cost. Again, this is all from Bob Poole, the Reason Foundation talking about the Hyperloop. Then there are other questions about economic feasibility. To finance a toll road, an airport terminal, or a new pipeline, investors need to see and vet an investment-grade traffic and revenue study. Nothing approaching that has been released for any proposed Hyperloop line. The 2020 Hyperloop feasibility study for the proposed Chicago to Pittsburgh system made aggressive assumptions about passengers and freight diverted from air and highway modes due to both time-saving and affordable fares which is at odds with a more realistic study from Lux Research estimating that the high cost of Hyperloop would seriously limit passenger and freight demand. The same 2020 study did a benefit-cost assessment that claimed to follow U.S. DOT methodology, but it used a 3% discount rate rather than the 7% required in federal agency work by the Office of Management and Budget. It counted travel time and operating cost savings of nearly $6 billion, but did not account for corresponding losses in market share by airlines and trucking companies or lost revenue to toll roads in the corridor. Yet, even with the inflated benefits of $18 to $19 billion, the estimated cost of the infrastructure, $27 billion, suggests that the costs significantly exceed the benefits. The engineer in me is excited by concepts like Hyperloop, and perhaps the technical problems noted above will be solved someday, but it's also my engineering background that serves as a hype detector for concepts that have many thus far unsolved problems. Federal and state DOTs should proceed with caution, insisting on independent benefit cost studies, and if a proposed Hyperloop project passes that test, then insisting on independent investment-grade traffic and revenue studies, taxpayers should not be required to support hype loops. And that was Bob Poole again from the Reason Foundations. And yes, he did say hype loop and not hyperloop at the end, uh, because I think that's what he his point is, is that the hyperloop is right now at this point a hype loop, which is a fantasy, a a dream, a, a we hope it works, but nothing's been... Uh, <laughs> proven to see that at work and, and at what cost. So I thought you would enjoy that. And uh, I, I, I <laughs> we've talked about the Hyperloop here. And maybe I should get that uh, Hyperloop guy I had on a couple years ago um, to talk more about the Hyperloop and kind of get an update about what's happening. I, I, you know, I'll write that down.
writing it down now. Call the Hyperloop guy. Okay. All right. So let's get to some of these driving you crazy questions that have been uh, flooding my emails. It's Mary from Denver who writes, what's driving you crazy? Hi, Jason. After reading your article regarding the highway on-ramps, uh, this is talking about the lights, the metered uh, lights there at a uh, highway ramp that's supposed to keep traffic flowing at a certain rate on the interstate while holding traffic on these ramps. Okay, so she continues. I have a question for you. If you are coming to up to the light, no one is in front of you or beside you, and by the time you get there, it turns green. Do you need to stop? My son got a ticket today for doing so, and the officer said, well... You didn't even hit your brakes. That's why I'm giving you a ticket. It's a four-point ticket, which, in my view, is totally excessive for an on-ramp light that was green when he went through. Wondering your thoughts on that. Well, this is a tricky one, Mary, as it seems that the legality of this move, and, and many moves, really, is up to the discretion of the officer that sees it happen. My feeling is that any driver using a ramp that has an active meter light that is flashing red, then green, and red, then green, should approach slowly enough to stop if the light is red, but not be ticketed if the driver is rolling through when the light is green. But since my opinion isn't worth anything when it comes to getting a ticket or not getting a ticket, I asked your question to several law enforcement agencies who patrol ramps with meter lights, and Ginger Delgado with the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office told me, the only time you can go and don't need to stop is if the light is green at the exact moment you cross the light. Something seems a bit fishy because there had to be some red involved, or I doubt the officer would have ticketed the guy. Since we weren't there, it's hard to speculate what happened. It's hard to speculate what happened. It sounds that most likely the person saw the light was green, but at some point it turned red. All right, Crystal Dean, operations support manager with the Greenwood Village Police Department, told me based on this scenario there would not be a violation. Uh, Josh Lewis, who I've talked to many times from the Colorado State Patrol, told me, because I don't know the exact circumstances, I wasn't there, this will largely come down to officer discretion based on the situation. Metered lights also have signs near before on them that indicate a vehicle needs to stop in addition to the red light itself when active. The intention of these lights is to filter in traffic to the main highway in an effort to avoid congestion. Hence, if the lights are activated, they need to be followed like any other traffic control device. Given how quick the green is, the driver should always be prepared to stop at them. But again, not knowing exactly what took place at the moment, I cannot articulate as to the officer's reasoning in issuing that citation. Kurt Barnes, he's a technician with the Denver Police Department, or basically an officer, but with a different name. He told me Colorado Revised Statutes 42-4.604 uh, defines a driver facing a steady circular red signal shall stop, and the same driver facing a circular green signal may proceed straight through. Officer discretion is important given the variables that can exist at these traffic signals with traffic volume and flow. Now, as with many scenarios when driving, doing something wrong is many times up to the discretion of an officer patrolling the streets and their interpretation of the law. The wonderful thing about our system of law and order in the United States is that the ticket is not the final say. It is technically a summons to court. And I told Mary, you and your son, or just maybe your son, 
should make his arguments to the traffic judge and see what the judge rules. Most people just sign a ticket. Basically, they're admitting guilt. And in, in, in exchange for uh, that, you get a lesser penalty, a lower fine, and you just move on about your day. Now, since law enforcement opinion that I mentioned to the story is mixed, I thought that Mary's son should be able to persuade the judge to see the situation in his favor. And I did get an update from Mary after I aired the story, and she said to me, by the way, thanks for the advice, the magistrate excused the $75 ticket. So, boom, there you go. Still <laughs> undetermined whether you could just roll through the green or you have to stop and, and wait for it to turn green when it's already green. All right, the next one comes from Ryan from Colorado Springs, who wrote to me saying, what's driving you crazy? I've had a dozen of near misses, all to do with drivers making a left turn and not yielding to drivers making a right turn at a traffic light. Here's the scenario. Both drivers have green lights, but the left turning driver has a flashing yellow light. After long discussions on Facebook's 719 Can't Drive page, 719, by the way, is the area code for Colorado Springs. Uh, and Ryan continues. I found that a third of the people think the driver making a right turn on green must yield to the driver making a left turn. Another third think they both can go at the same time when there are two lanes because the right turn driver goes to the right lane and the left turn driver goes to the left lane. Another third thinks that the driver making the left turn always yields unless the person turning right has a red. I am part of the third group. I have reviewed the 757 pages of Title 42, which is the uh, in the Colorado Revised Statutes, by the way. Title 42 has to do with all traffic laws, so that's what he was talking about. And Ryan says, I have come up with nothing but telling all drivers to yield. Any help would be appreciated. I like stories like this because then I like digging into it and then asking uh, you know, the officers what they think, too. So this is how I answered Ryan. I said, Ryan, this is similar to a couple other stories about making left turns that I've answered. One where I answer the question why drivers don't pull out into an intersection to turn left at a green light. The other asking, what's the law for making a left turn? Should drivers go halfway out or wait? By the way, if you want to read any of those stories or, you know, these, I'll put the links in the description of the show, but you can always find them at the denverchannel.com, and then you click on the left side menu, and you go to Denver 7 Traffic, and then from there on the top of the page, you'll see Driving You Crazy, and you'll see all of my Driving You Crazy printed online stories, the ones that I've been doing on TV, so you can always read them there. But again, I'll have the links to a couple of these uh, in the description of the show. All right, so I took your question, Ryan, to the Colorado Springs Police Department, since that's where you are, and they told me the right-turning vehicle will generally always have the right-of-way, especially if they have a green light. However, the Colorado Springs Police Department told me the answer to this question is all dependent upon the circumstances happening with the lights and the drivers at the intersection. In situation number one, a driver making a left-hand turn must yield the right-of-way to the vehicle making the right-hand turn if they are turning into the same lane. So if you have one-lane road or a two-lane road, one going in each direction, if you have a left turn and a right turn, the left turn driver yields the right-of-way to the right-turn driver. In situation number two, where the driver making the left-hand turn and the driver making a right-hand turn can turn into two separate lanes, they are both free to do so. However, the driver making the left 
must exercise all due caution and make sure there is no immediate hazard. Otherwise, they would be at fault in any traffic incident. In situation number three, a driver who's making a left-hand turn on green while the right-hand driver turning driver has a red, the left-hand turn vehicle goes through first as they have the right of way. Now, the Colorado Springs police told me that the difficulty with these kind of situations in traffic is is these what-if scenarios are entirely dependent upon the totality of the circumstances. And details as like the number of lanes and the type of lights and the flashing arrows and any signage with alternate instructions all control who will have the right-of-way at any given situation. And one of the few times a driver turning left has the right-of-way is at an intersection with a traffic light that has a green turn arrow. That solid green arrow permits drivers making the left that opportunity to make their turn before the mainline traffic or right-turning vehicles proceeds through the intersection. I checked the latest edition of the Colorado Driver's Handbook, and they are much more specific on this law with what drivers should do, saying on page 11, Turning left, you must yield to all oncoming traffic unless you have a green arrow or arrived at a four-way stop. The handbook explains further that you should wait to make that left turn, saying if turning left, you should wait at the stop line or crosswalk until there's a gap in oncoming oncoming traffic large enough to allow you to complete your turn. Pulling into the intersection while waiting to turn left blocks the intersection for emergency vehicles, limits visibility for oncoming traffic, and puts you in a position to get into a collision if the light changes and oncoming traffic runs the red light while you make your turn. Never turn the front wheels towards the left while you're waiting to turn. If you happen to get rear-ended, you'd be pushed into oncoming traffic. So bottom line, Ryan... Right turn before left, unless left has a green arrow. Yay. <laughs> so that's how that's how you get to that one. And uh, this one, this uh, story comes in from Cassandra from Thornton, Colorado. And she wrote to me saying, what's driving you crazy? Do you have to turn right on red? I am constantly getting honked at by drivers for not turning right on the red light when it's seemingly clear to go. Depending on the intersection, you can't always see who's coming through the green light or a larger vehicle is obstructing your line of sight. It was my first impression that turning right on red is legal unless otherwise posted, but not necessarily required. The short answer, Cassandra, is no, you don't have to turn right on red. It is not required, like you said. You are completely within your legal right to wait until the light turns green, even though... There is no law that says you must turn right on red. There will be drivers who will argue there is no reason not to turn right on red unless it is totally unsafe. According to the driver's handbook in Colorado, after stopping and yielding to pedestrians and other traffic, and if not prohibited by a traffic sign, you may turn right while the light is red. The key word in there is may. It doesn't say must. doesn't say have to. It says may. That makes the right turn on red optional. No one can tell another driver when they feel safe to make any kind of maneuver, including to turn right on red. That said, other drivers who disagree with your decision will let you know the easiest way they know how, laying on the horn. 
And I'm sure that's an uncomfortable feeling as the blaring horn would make you feel even more unsafe in our fast paced world. It's hard for other drivers to think someone wouldn't want to turn right on red and just keep going when they have the opportunity to do so. I was talking to several people about this story, including a woman named Suzanne, and she told me this. I was involved in a pretty bad car accident several years ago because a 16-year-old girl turned right on a red just as I was going through the intersection. My body and car took the brunt of the accident. So there's one lady's perspective. Another woman told me, even though you legally don't have to go on red, it's inconsiderate to any other driver and blocks the flow of traffic by waiting there and not turning, especially when it's safe. Conversely, a man named Sage I spoke with said, I'll just put my hands on the horn until I'm satisfied. When people honk at me, they can go around me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, For the drivers who want to turn right on red, the 911 driving school says just because it's legal, that doesn't mean that it's a free pass to turn unless the conditions are right. Since you have a red light, that means someone else has a green light and they have the right of way and are probably not watching for people to pull out. So it's imperative when wanting to make a right turn on red, watching for pedestrians and bike riders. Some of the people on a bike will be in the crosswalk, but other riders choose to be on the road riding with traffic. And on a separate note, in Colorado, and I think in other states, drivers are allowed to make a left turn on red from a one-way street onto another one-way street. The move is legal after stopping at the red light, provided there's no sign prohibiting such a turn. As with making a right on red, the driver must yield the right of way to pedestrians or other traffic lawfully in the intersection before they make that left at the red light to go left on red to another uh, one way going left. So there you go. Um, yeah, if you, <laughs> if you have those are some of the latest driving you crazy uh, stories I have. I have a link to uh, all of those stories in the description of the show. And of course, you could send me your own driving you crazy question. Doesn't have to be something about here in Colorado or Denver. You can uh, send it to me from wherever you're you're from, and I'll do my best to try to figure out uh, what's going on and get your question answered. You can get all those descriptions uh, or the, the links to the uh, uh, show and the description and whatever and, and a way to contact me in the description of this uh, fine program. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.